begin Exodus chapter 32. We will pick right back up where we left off last time we were able to gather together here. Now, if you today we're going to see just chapter 32, and it talks as we go here, we're going to see a tremendous failure take place with the people of God. <laughs> As people of God, can you imagine? We, we, make, we, we fail sometimes. You know, it, it does happen. It should not happen because God does warn us and does give us a way out of making those failures. And we don't have to choose those. But we will see a very interesting dynamic here in chapter 32. God's people choosing to, to go down a path to walk away from God's way. That God had already warned them, <laughs> right? We've seen the previous chapters. He warned them and warned them and warned them of, the, of what they should do and how they should live for him and the consequences that can happen if you don't. And we're also going to see, in, as we continue, Lord willing, into chapters 33 and 34, we're going to see their restoration as well. So the story doesn't end with failure in one's life. There can be a restoration that can if they will turn and repent and come back to God's way, right? Are you with me? Are you tracking with me? Guys, I'm warming up here because I'm going to get going here. because I, I want you to make sure you're tracking with me because if you're one of those mindsets where it says, I failed, I failed, I, I, fa I failed miserably this week, and whatever it might be going in your mind, okay, that's failure. That's done. We're, we're moving on now, right? We're going to talk about it here. You're going to learn from it. And next week you come back because we're going to talk about restoration. And we could talk about how God is going to restore you back into fellowship and into, into uh, him working through mightily through your life and allow him to do that. So there is a restoration. Yes, if there's failure, there's restoration. Amen? Are you tracking with me here this morning? All right. So here we see now, when the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain, the people gathered together to Aaron and said to him, Come, make us gods that, you sh that sh shall go before us. For, as for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the, uh, of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So we'll stop right there. And let me just... Let's walk through this, these verses, these 35 verses today. And first off, it says, now when the people saw that Moses delayed. First of all, Moses didn't delay, did he? Only they only, only delayed in their own minds that he was delayed. They didn't understand and they didn't set in the fact that they went, he went up because God called them to go up. And when God calls you to go up, it's in God's timing, not man's timing, that does what God wants to do. So first of all, that they were leaning on their own understanding because they felt that he was delayed. He wasn't delayed. God is not in a, it may feel and sense that God is delaying at times. And trust me, we have experienced that. Have we not in this, in this fellowship and at times a delay of why things haven't gone through the way we would like them to go through at the timing, right? I wish we were all gathered together again freely, but there's been a delay in allowing us to gather together. But God is in, still in control, and God will work it out, and God is doing a work through this to make, teach us. And I hope each and every one of us learn through these perceived delays according to our, how we feel and think. Amen? Amen. So God is, has got Moses ex exactly where he needed to be at the top of the mountain. And as we know from the scriptures, he wasn't giving them just ten commandments. He was giving the layout of a heavenly view for an earthly play out called the tabernacle. And all the elements and all the things that come in with this. And it takes time for that to happen. But it's God's perfect timing. And it was only 40 days from the people to hear what God told them to do. And the instructions that Moses gave to Aaron <laughs> and her. That they're supposed to lead these people while he's gone. And it was only took 40 days for them to go what? Back to their old ways. See how quickly it can happen? To sit there and say, I know I heard from God. I know what God's word says. I know I'm on the right track. I'm doing it according to his way. And you say, I can sit back and just do whatever I want to do. It's only a matter of time. Less than, within 40 days, you could possibly go right back to the old ways. 
We have to stay on guard as we see in the scripture here. And so as they look here, they're saying to, uh, Moses is, is coming and delayed. These people here, the God's people, as they gather together, there's a, ooh, be very careful when people start sitting there and going, you know, I don't know what's going on with leadership. You know what's going on with this Moses? You notice in the scripture here, they call them not our leader, the Moses who God has appointed to lead us. No, it's this Moses, like it's some other person. It used to be someone that they trusted and they, they said, remember in the previous scriptures, we're going to listen to you. We want you to lead us. You go to God. You get the word. We'll follow whatever you say. We're all for you, boss, man. We're, we're with you, leader. We're with you, pastor. Oh, we're, we're devoted to come and do whatever God's called you. Speak it through you. We'll do it. And then the people gathered together. And you see what happened. These gathering together, this group think, this uh, popular opinion moment comes into play. And they popularly got together and said, what? Just turns to Aaron, the assistant pastor. Always goes to the assistant pastors. It's amazing how, they, how things work out. And what do they ask? We want you to make us gods that we can worship, that we can follow. Gods who will lead us because we no longer have this Moses to take us to the promised land that we know we know is where we're going. Didn't ask for one God. Did you notice that? We want you to make many gods. Why? Because we're not going to just share one. We want to pass them around and have on each of the tribes maybe to have one. We want our own little God everywhere. Not centrally located how God said the tabernacle was to be, is going to be. Right? The, the mentality is there of what they want and how they want it. That's a very scary thing. When you start thinking of how you will worship God and how you want it and how you want to prescribe it, and if you don't get it, then you start getting groupthink, like-minded people to come together to then try to figure out a way to make that happen. And then you go to find the weakest link in the leadership. And in this case, Aaron was the weak link. Convince him to do it. So how did Aaron, how did Aaron respond to this? Were they, were they doing this because they were fear, because they had no leader? No, they had a leader. They had Aaron. Moses just didn't disappear and then leave no one in charge. So I don't think it was fear. I think people can get frustrated. And when they get frustrated, it leads them to emotionally react to do things that go contrary to the word of God. They emotionally get moved in their own personal lives, but also in the congregation here that we see. Because they're frustrated because things are just don't appear to be happening the way they think it should happen. In the timing that it should be happening. It's a delay. What is he doing? <laughs> are you with me? How quickly that, that popular opinion. So they go to Aaron. So you would think... The leader who's appointed over God's people who heard God's voice. Remember, these are the same people who heard the Ten Commandments directly from God's voice personally. They heard. But they still asked for God's. They still wanted to do it their way. And so you would think that, that Aaron would then would sit there and go, What am I hearing? What does he do? Verse 2. And Aaron said to them, get behind me, Satan. No, he didn't say it. Did he say, do you know that's idolatry? That is against the Ten Commandments that God told us? We're breaking a commandment. Are you out of your mind even thinking it, let alone let it come out of your mouth? No, he didn't say that. Aaron said to them, break off the golden earrings which are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bringing them to me. So nothing new, right? There's gold earrings and ears on all, all family members. Thank God he didn't say, get it out of the belly button, out of the nose, and out of everything else. At least they were contained with the ears. 
probably this gold, it is the same gold that they got from the Egyptians. Remember? They, God used that to provide for them. To, but the gold was not to do what they're about to do. It was to help to build and provide for them in the desert and going into the promised land, but to build the tabernacle, a place of worship. <laughs> so Aaron, Aaron, how did he, did he have time to sit there and go, let me think about this a little bit. Let me, let me ponder on this. What do I, what, how do I, what am I going to create these gods out of? Well, he came up, give me all, he must have saw all that gold in there and said, give me the gold and we'll make something out of gold that will last. Maybe so. However long that may be. Verse 3, so all the people broke off the golden earrings which were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. So they didn't hesitate to take what of obvious of value and break it off and give it to him. Can you imagine all the people, whoever that number of people were? They are probably all the people were obedient to what Aaron said in this moment. And hands them all of this money because it was of interest to them. You know, we find that people will give to the things of, of worship if it's of interest to them. They won't just give to God freely because God is going to do something. If it's something they agree with, then they give. If they don't agree with it, they don't give. Remember, we know the scriptures, right? The scripture said earlier, God said, I command them that they're going to take the resources I've given them to give to God for as a commandment to do what God needed them to be done in regards to the tabernacle that has going to be still has to come. Right. So they, it's not like they didn't know that God was going to use this as God commanded them to give to, the, to God's work. But here they were freely and willing to give for the work that Aaron was going to do based on what they asked him to do. Now remember, Aaron didn't come up with this. Aaron didn't sit there and say, you know, the boss man hasn't come back down yet. I don't know what to do. I'm feeling frustrated. And then you're feeling a little agitated and stuff. I've got to come up with something to entertain the people. Let's, let's make something. <laughs> let's make something new so we can have something fun. No, the people are the ones who came to Aaron. Aaron just went with the popular opinion of the congregation. Very dangerous, as we will see. Because when you go with the popularity of the congregation and it goes against the word of God, you're in trouble. You're so in trouble. In the family, the kids, the kids can rise up against you and have a mutiny against you, mom and dad. You don't go with what keeps the kids happy. You go with what God makes God happy. And many times it goes against what the kids want. Because they go by the flesh. As we will see this congregation, it's all about the flesh as we will see. Idolatry is all about the flesh. It's all about me. And we will see this played out here, right? He said, so what happens here? As he received the gold, verse 4, from their hand, and he fashioned it. Aaron literally fashioned it, and, and an, an engraving tool. He actually took a tool and really, this wasn't a makeshift, let's, let's like a kid pottery moment here. <laughs> this is, he actually engraved and took the time to mold it and shaped it, engraved the tool, and made a molded calf. Then they said, this is your God, O Israel. And he states it to the people. This is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. Ah, catch with me here. Notice his subtle words here. They weren't looking to create a false gods. They were adding to the worship of something they can look at. They had to see something. Do you notice that? This, Aaron made sure... We're making this golden molden calf for you to know it's the same God that brought us out of Egypt. That brought us through the Red Sea. That brought us through all of the Amalekite war and in the, now to this mountain. So they weren't looking to find another God. They knew this was the God they wanted to worship. 
But notice they had to have something visual to be able to worship. That is nothing new under the sun, is it? Because religions are filled with objects that people can't worship unless they have the object in front of them. They just can't just worship God in the spirit and in truth. They must add to their experience. And that's exactly what Aaron did. He created something to add to something because they couldn't do it by faith. They had to have something by sight to be able to do that. And that's dangerous. Very, very dangerous as we can see. So what did he do then? Verse 5, so when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it, and Aaron made a proclamation, a statement, a decree, right there, boom, what? And said, tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. <laughs> you think it was bad making a golden calf? Then you take that, and then you worship it, and you, make a, a, and you honor this in front of the Lord himself, a decree, this will happen, you built an altar? Oh, Aaron, you're just, you're spiraling out of control and sliding down this thing so fast right now, dude. You are in big trouble. Because now he's breaking another commandment. He's breaking commandments one after another, and he continues until all of a sudden, by the mercy and the grace of God, you'll see it. Now, catch the mercy and grace of God here as we come into this. Even through the failure, you see how God is so, so, so kind, so good here. So what happens next? Anytime you have an idol... You need something that has become so important that you're willing to put your time, your money, and your efforts. What else will you do? You can always tell if someone's idle. This is a key. Get this. I love this. This is a great, great verse. Right here. He says right here. And then they rose early. <laughs> no one will rise up early and go to a place that they don't see important. Do you know that? Something that's important to them, they will get up. I, I don't know about you. I, I've been guilty of this. You get, it's on a weekend, right? You've been getting up all week, long, early to go to work. Why? Because you know it's important and you have to. You, come to, you go do something for God on Saturday. I'm really tired. You know, it, 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 my day doesn't start until 1. Sunday morning? 8 o'clock, 10 o'clock. Can't we readjust the time to 11.30, 12 o'clock? You know, we'll have a luncheon, a brunchin, kind of a, kind of a church. Why? Because it's not important. You won't rise early. But here they rose early. Why? Because it was their idol. They were... Into, you, you can't get up in the morning... All I have to do is say, you have vacations, you have tickets, you're going to get on a plane, you're going south and sitting on the beaches. You'll be up three hours prior to that. The, dark, the sun hasn't even gone up and you're up and ready to go. So don't tell me you can't get up early in the morning. It's what incentivizes you, doesn't it? Then they rose up early on the next day and offered. Now they're offering, they're giving. They're offering burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Oh, I, I'm telling you, this is probably one of the most gentler, kinder way of saying the most horrific, wicked statement of what they were doing. And if you, if you can think of something, a gentler or a kinder way of saying it, of, of wickedness in the Bible, please point that, that verse out. I'd love to see another one. But this is the one I think is the most incredible way of saying what is not saying, being said. Because right here, these people came together and brought the food. They had a feast. They're coming and praising and the fact that they had this idol now, this golden calf, and they're worshiping it because that it represents the God that they, they know. And all of a sudden, it leads them right into rose up to play. And play in the Hebrew word here is drunken orgies. It means sexual immorality is set in and these people were having it. And they call it here in the scripture, play. These adults were not playing. 
They were sinning. They were sexually out of control. Immorally out of control. But that is exactly what happens when you have idolatry in your life. It will lead you to immorality in your life. Oh, you might have had good intentions of why you started down that path with just the golden calf. But that golden calf will continue to lead you right into immorality and you'll break commandment after commandment. Are you really loving God? Having the golden calf? Are you really loving others caught up in this kind of play? kind of group think no it absolutely will lead you to destruction as we will see destruction does come for many not all <laughs> it gets better if you haven't read ahead you'll see what I'm talking about here so we see that they rose to play in verse 7 and the Lord said to Moses get go and get down go and get down Get off this mountain right now and get down to those people down there at the bottom of the hill. For your people. Notice the key words here. God says to Moses, your people, whom you brought out of the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves. They've chosen to corrupt themselves. Now, you, if you sat there and asked those people who were playing and sitting there and celebrating this golden calf, do you think in their minds that you would say, do you, have you corrupted yourself? Do you think any of them said, oh no, I haven't corrupted myself. We're just having fun. We're, we're just neighbors. We're friends. We're, you know, fellow students. No, of course, when you're in sin, you don't see as being the fact that you're corrupting yourself. They didn't see themselves corrupting themselves. But who does see the fact that they're corrupting themselves? God. God sees. Right? I mean that, and, and it's so important right here, right? So not only did he says to, to Moses, get, go get down because your people, you're the one that brought them out here, have corrupted themselves. Verse 8. And they have turned aside quickly out of the way. Out of the way. Key word. Right under, underline that. Out of the way. What way? God's way. Why do we call our, our radio station the way? Because there is a, the one and true living way to live for God and please God. And that is according to his word and no other way. God gave them commandments. They chose to corrupt themselves. They chose to play with themselves. They chose to move down a path that is causing them to destruction and they don't even know it. So God sends the leader back down to bring some, uh, some order back, in, or back into play. But they turn quickly. 40 days. 40 days they quickly walked away from the truths of God and went back to their fleshly ways. 40 days. Sad. But they did. They turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They have made themselves. God is making it clear. The devil didn't make me do it here. They're not going to be able to say that. They're going to only can say is God says they made themselves in the position. Some people come in and say, oh, pastor, you just don't believe how you made it. You corrupted yourself. You did it. You went down there. You own it. You're going to have to pay for it. But, I mean, it gets even better. Watch this. This is incredible. So they made themselves a molten calf and worshipped it and sacrificed to it. Do you see how it plays? You just make it. Then you start worshipping it. Then you start sacrificing to it. Any idol in your life, I pray you have none. Even as the slightest, I hope that if there's anything that God has revealed to you that's an idol, you got rid of it. But if you have it and you're struggling with it, I guarantee you that's the same path you made. You just didn't maybe make it, 
but you bought it. You got it. You made it means you got it. Whatever that idol may be. And what happens after that? You start worshiping it. What does that mean? You think about it all the time. It consumes your mind. It consumes your mind. It controls you. That's what worship is. And then finally, you start sacrificing to it. You actually... I've met more teenage young men in the last couple of weeks that they have, their idol is this machine. That they've gone from this machine buying it and owning it in idolatry and it's consumed them so much that they tell me they don't even eat for hours or drink water for hours. They completely forget to do any homework or complete to go to do anything or follow up or even go to dinner. It consumes them and then they start sacrificing. Whatever it takes, I'll steal, cheat, steal whatever it takes to get that more of that. It's a pattern here that we see right here in the people here. And he said, this is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. So what does that say here in verse 8? God hears exactly what they said. Notice, God said to Moses, let me tell you what they just said at the bottom of the hill. What did he say? This is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Israel. So he repeated what Aaron said to the people right there to Moses. So that tells you God hears all things. Everything. Right there. But look at that, but it gets even better. And then the Lord said to Moses... I have seen this people, and indeed it is a stiff-necked people. So not only does God hear what was saying going on down there, but he says, I even see exactly what's going on down there. And Moses, this is what is happening. And they are a stiff-necked people. And that language means unresponsive or stubborn. They're not willing to change. They want what they want. Those are stiff-necked people. That is not a good thing when it comes to following God and being stiff-necked and unresponsive to when God says you need to change and you're not willing to change. Mm, mercy. So what happens? Verse 10. Now, therefore, let me alone. <laughs> Moses, we're done with this conversation. You've got to leave my presence. You better start moving down that hill right now and shuffling your little self right down, that, down the bottom of the hill because you've got something to deal with. So let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them and I may consume them and I will make you a great nation. So he told Moses, get yourself right down there because this is what I'm right now I'm going to do. My wrath is going to just torch them all. But don't worry about it. I'll take you and make you a great nation. Notice here, notice what God is doing to refine Moses, the leader, through this process. He's sitting there right in front and says, the commandment is, is if you have any other idols, or if you worship or do anything, there are to what, what's the penalty? Death. Right? So God says, I'm going to follow through with this. They've created idols, look at what they're doing, Sexual immorality, death. That was a penalty. My wrath is going to torch them all, but don't you worry, I'll make you a great nation. Ah, the only one other one who has that title is who? Abraham. So what God is saying to him is, I'll make you like Abraham. He's still fulfilling his promises he made to Abraham, Isaac, and we'll see that. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? A great nation will come from you. It still can come from his lineage. So he's not, God's not going back on his word on that. So there's Moses as a leader. God called him to do this. What does Moses do? Does he say, wow, I'm going to be just like Father Abraham. I'm going to be reverend. I'm going to be lifted up. Generations upon generations and is going to be talking about a great nation come from me. 
but Moses was not there. Why? This is why I believe Moses did not get tempted to take what is not as his. He just spent time with the Lord. He is having a mountaintop experience like no other in the presence of God. And when you're in the presence of God and you're listening and receiving from his word directly from him, you will not be tempted to do something or to take something or try to achieve something that is not yours to touch. Are you with me? I try to say that as slow as possible so it sinks into your mind because it can be a very big challenge for some to take for opportunities. Look for that opportunity. To make it up the next, get the higher up the ladder. That guy is really messed up. He's going down. I can take advantage of that. We have to be very careful of those things. But notice here, God presents it to here to Moses of what possibly is going to happen here. And what happens? Verse 11, then Moses pleaded. Pleaded with the Lord his God and said, Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people? Notice he switches it back. He didn't say, don't get... Don't get real uh, mad and, uh, and have wrath and anger and wipe out my people. No, he didn't say that, did he? Because Moses understood, this is your people. They're not my people. This is your church, not my church. Amen? God's in control over these things. The Lord is in control. No man should take what is of, what is of God's. And so he says, it's your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand. Moses understood that he had no power of, uh, apart from God. He had no might apart from God. And he wasn't even going to even come close to say, yes, God used me. I'm, oh, he gave me such power and might to achieve, to bring his people out. Oh, look at me. Don't take God's glory. Moses doesn't take the glory, does he? He puts it right back on God. He says, no, these are your people. You're the one that brought it out. And he gives him two things. I love Moses. Moses has the heart of God. Notice this. Notice a godly man will bring back into prayer and talk to God about God's heart about these things that he's dealing with. God, your word says this. God, your heart is this. Your, your heart is, is one of grace and one of mercy and one of goodness and one of love and one of long patience and long suffering. These things, that's your heart, God. I know that. And notice how Moses does this. He says, Moses pleads with him. He's interceding for the people. I plead, God, please, do not bring your wrath upon these people who deserve it. Because they deserve it. So he's a man of prayer, pleading with God to please don't, don't take these people out. And what, what happens? It's your people you have brought out. And then he says why. Verse 12. Why should the Egyptians speak and say he, he God, brought them out to harm them, to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth, turn from your, your fierce wrath and relent from this harm to your people. So the very first thing he tells God and he pleads, God, your name is at stake here. The Pharaoh and the Egyptians and the world is going to look and say, look at what God did to his people. He brought them out and then he sat there and just torched them all. And that's a loving God. That is a God you can trust. The, the absolute, the world will just turn on justifying why you can't follow God. Let me ask you a question. Do you not see that played out today? You see how the world will quickly take something? So Moses, Moses sitting here, no, 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 no. God, I plead with you. 
these Egyptians and everyone in this world is going to turn on you and will actually be a, it, it, this is not going to go, this is not going to play out well. The PR on this, the public relations is going to be a, a catastrophe. But then Moses follows up with a second example. Look at the second example, verse 13. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and, and Israel? Israel versus what? Jacob, right? Notice, remember his name was changed? You guys caught that little detail? Your servants, your servants, to whom you swore by your own selves and said to them, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven and all this land that I have spoken of, I give to your descendants and they shall inherit it forever. So the Lord relent, relented from the harm which he said he would do to his people. Now, some of you might have said, wow, God changed his mind. Didn't change his mind. God is a God of judgment. He's a God of mercy. And he is a God of grace. That doesn't change. He could do judgment. He can show mercy. Or he can show grace. All of you, you screw up, you immediately go for the, God, I need your grace. That's what we rely upon, don't we? When we fall short, we're tempted, we fall to that temptation, we rely upon God's grace to restore us, to bring us back into the, according to his way. We ask for his what? Mercies every day, because his mercies are new every morning to us, right? Every day. But we're also wise that if we do not quickly change, there is a God of judgment to correct because that is how God works. God will bring about judgment, correction on you and me to make sure we come back to follow his ways. Are you with me? So all Moses is doing is pleading to God for his mercy upon the people because of the fact that they deserve the judgment, but he's asking for God to give, show mercy. And so what happens? God relented. He chose mercy at this point in time. Because why? In verse 13, we see that Moses was saying, you're a good God. You have a good God because you promised Abraham, Isaac, and Israel a multitude as, as, as more than the, the, uh, the stars of the heaven. You're such a good God of your blessing and provision upon the people. And so what happens? Verse 15. And Moses turned and went down from the mountain and the two tablets of the testimony were in his hand, and the tablets were written on both sides, on the one side and on the other they were written. And now the tablets were the work of God, and the writing was the, was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. So we see clearly in the scripture, it's God's law, God's commandments, God's way, clearly written, front and back. What did that, remember, I think it was um, Wednesday night, right? We we're talking about the, when you see emphasis in the scriptures that something is complete, it's front and back. The scroll that was going to be open was what? Written on the front and back, remember? John said, I can see the scroll in the hand of the one sitting on the throne. What? And he said, it's written on the front and back, which means it's complete. Can't add, can't delete. So God determines the law, God determines commandments, God determines the way, and it's front and back of these tablets. He's carrying down and hustling down the mountain to get down to these people because he's got to intercede. Because if he doesn't intercede, then the wrath of God will go to judgment and not show mercy. Are you with me? Because he had, Moses had a heart for the people. A pastor who doesn't have the heart for the people, when things get bad and things go crazy, what do they do? 
They're a hireling. They'll walk away from all of it. They have no investment. Their heart's not for the people. They'll walk away in a heartbeat. But someone who is God's called to minister to shepherd a flock of people, a congregation, they will not leave the people even if it's in the bad times. They won't walk. And so Moses had the heart of God. I'm committed to help these people. So he takes the tablets and we see that he's hustling down and we see that he joins up again with Joshua, verse 17. When Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, there is a noise of war in the camp. So we can see that, remember, Joshua only went partway up the mountain. Moses went all the way to the mountaintop to, with God. Now here comes Moses hustling down with these tablets. You can imagine, Joshua, what is in your hands? You didn't go up those with him. What are those coming down? And, and do you hear the commotion down at the bottom of the mountain? It sounds like at, there's a war going on down. Joshua's the warrior, remember? Joshua's ready to go, to, go fight. <laughs> he was ready to go back down there and see what we could do to help. But Joshua, Moses says to Joshua, verse 18, but he said, it is not the noise of the shout of victory, nor the noise of the cry of defeat, but the sound of singing I hear. Verse 19, so it was as soon as he came near the camp that he saw the calf and the dancing. Now he knew. Joshua didn't know what was going on. But Moses knew because God told Moses what was going on. And when he got to the bottom and he saw it with his own eyes, that truly the, the debauchery, the sinful, immoral practices that were happening in the congregation that he had left just 40 days prior. There's no doubt in my mind that grieved the heart of Moses. It grieved him. As a parent, don't you grieve if your children walk away and they're in moral, in, into immorality? It grieves you to the core. You can't even explain the feelings you have of someone walking in darkness away from God. You can't even explain it. It's grieving. All you can do is, like Moses, plead for God's mercy and grace upon our loved ones who do not choose to walk with him. And God will show mercy. <laughs> He'll show grace, we pray. But we see here, as we look at this, he gets there in verse 19, uh, second part of 19. So Moses' anger became hot. <laughs> God's, God's anger got hot. He says, God, calm down. Please, show mercy. He gets down there. He gets that righteous anger. He's just hot. Like, this is truly happening. Worse. This is worse than I thought that guy was explaining to me, right? So he says, and he cast the tablets out of his hands and broke them at the foot of the mountain. Now, I don't know what I would do, right? But I think these are God's tablets. He wrote it with his own finger. These are priceless how could I get angry and just drop something that God gave me, right? But it's kind of interesting play, right? Here they are breaking the commandments, and he sits there and he actually acts out and breaks the commandments, and those tablets break right there at the foot. Like, this, these are worthless because you're breaking the commandments. Why did I even bring these back? His anger caused him to have no self-control, it appears. At least I, I read it as this. He lost control and threw the tablets and they broke him. That's the first thing that Moses did when he saw hit the people worshiping and dancing and down there. Verse 20, then he took, off, took the calf, which they had made, burned it in the fire and then ground it in powder and he scattered it on the water and made the children of Israel drink it. You want, you, want your, you want your fill of this? The idolatry that you're playing with? 
Fine, I'll take it. I'll burn it down to a point where I can crush it into powder and I'll throw it into the river and watch it float away and then go suck it up yourself because you're going to get your fill somewhere, right? Why don't you go do it that way? He was angry. Absolutely angry because of their lack of self-control. And then that third thing he did, Moses said in verse 21, Moses said to Aaron, what did this people do to you that you have brought so great a sin upon them? So the third thing he did, first of all, broke the commandments, physically dropped him, ground up that calf, got rid of it. But then he turned to the leader, Aaron, and said, you are accountable to these people. You don't get to slide on this. You are supposed to protect the people from this idolatry. But Aaron, Aaron has no excuse here. Look at what happens. And Moses said to Aaron, what did this people do to you that you have brought so great a sin upon them? What did they do to force you to allow them to do this? Did they threaten you with your life? Did they string you up and said they were going to cast you into the calf and in the mold, the gold itself? What did they do to cause you to walk away from your accountable, responsible position of a leader over the people? Why would you have done that? And what is Aaron's response? Verse 22, so Aaron said, Do not let the anger of my Lord become hot. You know the people that they... That they are set on evil. So first of all, Aaron does not take responsibility as a leader. He immediately shifts excuse and blames the people. You know these people. You, like I'm going to be able to control these people. There's 2.5 or 3 million of them. People. What am I going to be able to do? That's not the issue. The issue is Aaron was not a leader with the heart of God. So he did not fear God more than the people. He was more important as a pastor or as the assistant leader here to have the popularity of the people so that they would like him as a leader so that he could have everyone have think they're going to be all fun and happy because he's the popular one. That's not how it works. As long as the people get what they want from you, then you're popular. And as soon as they keep taking and you can't give, they'll turn on you in a heartbeat. It's that, that's the way it is with people who don't walk according to God's way. And they're just doing it selfishly. So he was more interested in the popularity and pleasing the people versus pleasing God. In the positions of ministry, I assure you I am looking to please God I'm not looking first to please you. I'm not going to. Because if I please the congregation, do you know how crazy that could get? Just go watch around. You see lots of places that are now pleasing the people and, and are completely going against the word of God. Because the culture is changing the church and not the church changing the culture. And if you don't see that as clear as can be, I, I would love to have some coffee time with you because I really want to help you because you're not getting it. And I need you to get it. <laughs> I really do need you to get it. That we want to please God because it starts here, but it doesn't start finish here because it starts in the family, does it not? And then it starts in your own personal life. You want to please God. Not be a man pleaser. The scripture warns you about being a man pleaser. Whew, got to keep going here. So I told you I could keep going here. So verse 23, for they said to me, make us gods and that shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So he gives them another excuse. These people, you know, they don't, they, they're just evil. And then they, then they ask, where were you, Moses? So now he's shifting on Moses. Where were you? It's your fault. You should have gotten back here sooner. So he shifted the blame on the leader, <laughs> Moses, as far as taking responsibility. 
Verse 24, and I, and I said to them, whoever has an, any gold, let them break it off so that they give it to me. And I cast it into the fire, and this calf came out. It just, it just happened, Moses. You know, it's, it's like, a, like a little boy says to mom and dad, I don't know how those cookies got eaten. They just came out of the oven, and they just, they just disappeared. It's, it's, it's incredible when you read the scripture and have fun with it because he's saying to Moses, dude, Mo, you won't believe it. It was a miracle. <laughs> See, if you want to be able to justify something, you just call it a miracle. How, how do you answer that? How do you answer that question? It's like someone saying, you shouldn't be doing it. No, God showed me this. God, it was in a dream. It was, it was a miracle. What do you say to those things? You can't say anything to those things. All you can say is, well, but it goes against the word of God. So it wasn't from God. I would think it's a little darker uh, source that, that, that that's coming from. But that's exactly what he did. He could not. He says, you can hear Moses. So how did the gold get fastened and carved and looking all pretty that I just did? How did that happen? I don't know. I just... I asked for the gold. First of all, why did you ask for the gold? Didn't answer that question, did he? I asked for the gold, and it just, poof, it came out. Whew, I can't make these things up. It's right here in the scriptures. It's, it's, it's incredible. It just came out. First of all, he came up with another excuse, and he lied on top of that. Verse 25, now when the Moses saw that the people were unrestrained, that's, what, that's a key word right there when someone's in idolatry, immorality. They're unrestrained. They're unrestrained with their words. They're unrestrained with their, their actions, their thoughts. It, they're just unrestrained. They're just out of control. That's another word, right? So they're unrestrained. For Aaron had not restrained them to their shame among their enemies. Then Moses stood in the entrance of the camp and said, Whoever is on the Lord's side, come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered themselves together to him. So now it's decision time. He stands up as a leader, tells the people, those who are for me, for God, come here. If you're not, then you're against God. You're against me. You don't come here. And just all of the sons of Levi gathered together. It doesn't mean that just Levi, the sons of Levi, came up to him. Others did, but all of the sons of Levi did that. And if you notice, that's the tribe that ended up being what? The spiritual leadership, the priests that uh, were going to lead from that point forward. Notice that. In verse 27, he said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Let every man put his sword on his side and go in and out from entrance to entrance throughout the camp and let every man kill his brother, every man his companion, and every man his neighbor. So the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses, and about 3,000 men of the people fell that day. Woo! Talk about your, using your sword. <laughs> they taken out. Why about 3,000 people? I believe as I ponder on this, these are the 3,000 people who were probably the leaders that enacted all of the play and partaking that was going on within, that were the leaders causing the uproar within the, in the congregation. It was this group. And so Moses called the, these people who were loyal to God to go out and to use their sword. Now, let's bring it back to present day. Are you for God or... Are you with God? Do you want to follow God? Are you committed to God? You have a sword. Go out. Go out to those that are playing. Go out to those who are completely don't want anything to do with God and just share the word of God with those people. That's what we're to do. Go help them. By sharing the word. You have a sword. You have an enemy coming against you. Use your short sword to combat and keep the enemy away. But go and share the love of Christ with people out there in darkness. They need it so desperately. We needed it. God, by God's grace, we're here. 
Verse 29, then Moses said, consecrate yourself to today to the Lord that he may bestow on you a blessing this day for every man has opposed his son and his brother. They, who else would have done that if they feared God more than man? Would they have gone out there and slain about 3,000 people? Now it came to pass on the next day that Moses said to the people, you have committed a great sin. He made it clear. This is not some weak that you had at the moment while you were really stressed and, and, and things were going the way you thought and, and you just felt like... You... No, it wasn't all about feelings here. This was sin. He called it sin. It is sin. And he was not dancing around the, the word sin. He called it the way it is. So now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. This sin was so great, even in the mind of Moses says sacrificing an ox, sacrificing something on the altar, and, and, and have the covering of the sin for these people. This is so bad, I'm going to go back up to the mountain and plead with God and to see if there's a sacrifice that will satisfy our God because of what was going on here. And so what does he do? I can make atonement for your sin. He was committed to even giving his life for atonement to allow the people to become back into one minute with the heavenly God and look at what happens verse 31 then Moses returned to the Lord back up the hill back up the mountain here he goes and and said oh these people have committed a great sin and have made for themselves a God of gold verse 32 yet now if you will forgive their sin He's interceding for the people. As a pastor, we are to intercede for you, pray for you constantly. And he was. His heart was right with God when it came to him being a leader over the people here. And notice that. He's asking for the forgiveness. He's asking for God's mercy and grace. But if not, I pray Blot me out of your book which you have written. And the Lord said to Moses, Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot him out of my book. So he's saying, Moses is sitting there going, and now there's two, ver two views on this. When he says, you can blot me out of your book, it can be the book of life that is referenced of those who are saved and coming to heaven. They've been... The, the book of life, and I'm in the book of life, I'm willing to not come to heaven. I'm, not, I'm willing to go to hell for these people. Many take that view. Or he can sit there going, at this point in the scriptures, at this point in life, he could be also referring to, God, I blot me out. Take my life. I will kill me now. Pre, pre, before my time, kill me instead of them because I am willing to be taken out of the census book. I'm no longer part of the census here. I'm not part of, take my life prematurely. Take it now for the sake of the rest of the people. You can take whatever view you want to take. The point is, Moses was willing to sacrifice himself for the sake of the people that God had put a calling on his life for those people. He, he was willing to give his life up. And now notice here, God did not, he just saw it and said, you're the man, I, I know why, why I, call, I picked you. <laughs> I know you're why you're the leader. Because you're like-minded. God is saying, you are exactly where I need my leaders to be. And no, I'm not going to take your life. No, I'm not going to take you out of a book. But they're going to be judged, right? About 3,000 already were just dealt with by the sword. But notice what else happens here. And 34, and we'll wrap this baby up right now. He says, now therefore go lead the people to the place of which I have spoken to you. The promised land, right? Behold, my angel in your Bible should be a capital A for deity. Jesus himself, my angel shall go before you. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit for punishment, I will visit punishment upon them for their sins. Take him to the promised land, Moses. 
take him that direction and Jesus is going to be with you. I'm going to make sure the Lord is with you the whole way. He is with you. God is with you. No fears, no worries. But mark my, mark my word, he says, because of their sin, there's still consequences for their sin. See, sometimes you have committed great sin. You've been sleeping around. Because it's part of the culture you got yourself wrapped up in, even though there are all kinds of, of warnings. And you got venereal diseases. So yes, you've been saved. Yes, you've been forgiven. Yes, you are going to heaven. Yes, you're a child of God. But you have to deal with venereal diseases. The rest of your life, until you go to heaven, then you're healed. So sometimes just because you have been spared for showing mercy and grace upon you doesn't mean you still don't have consequences that come from it. And notice here, verse 35, so the Lord plagued the people because of what they did with the calf which Aaron made. So not only the sword brought, some believe that the plague he's referring to is the about 3,000 people. I see those two different things, but if you see them as the same about 3,000 people, I believe the rest of the congregation that was along with it were plagued. However they were plagued by, we don't know because God doesn't give us that information. If you have a golden calf in your life, today's the day Repent, get it out, cut it off, cry out and ask for God's mercy and grace to give you the strength and ability to walk away from whatever or whoever it is that has become an idol in your life before it's too late. Amen?